this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. share and we bless it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word to us this morning. We will be able to understand and draw near to you, Lord God, and be strengthened in our spirit and enlarged in our understanding um, to know you more uh, and to draw nearer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Bethany. So yes, we are looking at the next two commandments in our series of the Ten Commandments, the top ten. God had a lot of commandments, and yeah, these ones make the top ten. Now God is into your heart, yeah? God is into hearts. And these two are great because Jesus teaches very specifically on them. And during his... His teaching, when he just previous to this, he says, I've not come to get rid of this stuff. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, he said. So he takes the command with which the Jewish leaders were very good at following, but they'd missed one thing. They'd missed having it in their hearts. They'd missed having the boundary in their hearts. So he hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And the fulfillment is now that it's a boundary, not just externally for you to follow, but it's within your heart. So that if your heart goes near the boundary, there's like something not quite right here. Something's not happening here. Because they were, they were ridiculously good at following the commands. And Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees. Unless it's greater, you, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't come in. Unless your righteousness has got more than just following the act, unless it includes the heart condition, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And there's internal boundaries written into your, into your heart through the commands. And I was playing a game of soccer once, and the ball went out um, like... From here, like a good three metres out. And one of the guys on my team ran over to get the ball, which you don't often do if it goes out. You sort of have a breather. You walk over, you get the ball, you throw it back in. He ran over, he got the ball, and then he just took off down the sideline with the ball, running at his feet, just running like he was still in the game. But he was out of the game. So we're just standing there watching him go down the sideline. And I started laughing. And the referee eventually blew the whistle. And there was another line that was right beside him which was the other field, and he thought he was just in. But he was way out. As he came back and just threw the ball in and we got on with the game. But if your faith and your heart is not in the game, we just need to get that thing, we need to get it back in, in the game. We need to keep our hearts alive in faith in the game of God's ways. And whether you're in it or not, you've got to throw the ball back in, or maybe you've never been in, Jesus doesn't reject anyone. It says in John chapter 1, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, which is a fantastic invitation. 
Uh, so you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Which they were very good at doing on the outside, but they didn't have it on the inside. And uh, a woman comes up, uh, the Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. They're like, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say? The law of Moses says we should stone her. And he just sort of ignores them and then he says, you, who's without sin, cast the first stone. You want to throw rocks at her, if you've got no sin, go ahead, be my guest. And they all leave. And then he says to her, has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? She says, no. And he says, well, neither do I, but leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. And there's no condemnation in Jesus. There's nothing there. But God hates murder and he hates adultery. Not only does it destroy people's lives and families for generations, not just immediate, it's lasting. The effects just carry on for generations. But it defaces and dishonours God. It defaces his relationship with people. The marriage relationship reflects his relationship with people. And from heaven to earth, that really matters to God. And you dishonour the marriage covenant and you are dishonouring God's relationship with people. And murder not only destroys people's lives, but it defaces and it dishonours the image of God. And when Noah comes out of the ark and God says to him, look, go, he blesses him. Be fruitful, multiply, increase on the earth. It's yours. Go for it. Oh, whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood will his be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. His image is really, really valuable to him. And you will know that one day when you stand before him and you see him. We won't know here, but we will know one day. Oh, you, oh, oh, I, I got nothing to say. Because you will see him face. You will see his image. You will see him and you will realise how valuable he is. And so we look to Jesus in these commandments and how he unfolds the true intentions and the extent of the command. You shall not murder. Exodus 20 verse 13. You shall not murder. And murder is the intentional and premeditated killing of someone. It's not killing. It's not war. It's premeditated and it's intentional. It's not, if you go over to some of the Asian countries and you traffic drugs, you'll get put, they will give you the death sentence. That's, that's not murder. It's premeditated, it's intentional. And Jesus straight up gets to the heart of the matter in Matthew 5.21. Can we see that? Matthew 5.21, and he says this, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, and I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but I just made that up. Is it like that, Ruth? Raka. It's like you take this person in contempt, disdain, utter contempt of a person is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa. Scary. Pretty full on. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so Jesus commissions us to fulfill this command really at the foundation by taking responsibility for being angry, for being angry, for anger. And you might not have a premeditated strategy to take someone's life But have you meditated on how that person treated you? Have you thought about how that deal didn't come off? And does that make you angry? Have you meditated on how it just didn't work out, how you thought it was going to be? And they shouldn't have done that. And they should have said that. And why didn't they come? And where were you, God, when I was supposed to? And what were you thinking? Have you meditated on the, have you had these thoughts? And so God, you know, he comes to Cain you know, I just wonder about Abel sometimes. Like, does, does Cain and, and Abel, does Abel go up to God and say, why didn't you come to Cain when, when he was trying to take my life? Why did you just come when he was angry? I don't know. But the story of Cain and Abel, and God comes to Cain when he's angry. He says, why is your face downcast? Why, why are you upset? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And then he says this, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. You must rule over it. But he held on to his anger, didn't he? And he has a premeditated strategy and he kills his brother without reason. He's just jealous because his brother's a better worship leader. Caleb, great job this morning. And I'm not jealous. And I must think that, that musicians are some of the just naturally coolest people ever. But that's what it was like. It was like Caleb had a brother and he was jealous, so he killed him because he was a better song leader. Is he jealous of your song leader? <laughs> See, I've met one of your brothers. He looks just like you. It's just interesting. It's like, anyway, not twins. But he didn't have a reason. And, you know, when you're angry, you, you just don't do... What God requires. And the Bible says that in James chapter 1. It says, when a man is angry, he doesn't do what God says is right. And you can't have anger and the call of God happening and the life of God. You can't have prolonged anger. You're just not going to serve God. And you need to do something with anger. And if you don't do something with it, well, it's going to do something with you. It's going to do something with you. And buried anger is buried alive. And this quote from an ancient Roman philosopher, Lucius, never knew him. He was in Rome. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel that it's stored than to the people that it's poured. And it's challenging because you're going to get angry. You're going to get angry. And you'll get angry. There'll be righteous anger, which is still got to do something with. And then there'll be unrighteous anger or there'll be... Anger, that's just, you've got to deal with, it, deal with it. And it's challenging because Moses gets angry. I mean, Jesus got angry. Paul gets angry, has a fight with, with Barnabas. And then he calls the Galatians. He writes in Galatians, you foolish Galatians. I'm not sure if he was thinking about Matthew chapter 5 when he wrote that. But, you know, who has bewitched you? He was righteous anger. Moses gets so angry. And for good reason. And I often wonder about the Israelites. What were they thinking? I mean, they saw God. They saw him come down 
out of heaven. They saw him with a, there was a fire on the mountain and they were like, they were so afraid. They were terrified, the Bible says, because God came down on the mountain and it sort of exploded and Moses went up there. And then 70 of them go up because God tells Moses, get these guys, the leaders, and, and just come up the mountain. And they go up the mountain and they eat. They have a, they have a meal up there. And then they look over and there's God right there. And they see him and it says that he's walking around on what looks like to be a, a sea of glass, clear as jasper. And there's God and they're eating and they're terrified because God is there and they're there and they see him. And then Moses goes up the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments and he's up there for so long, they, they just forget all that. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like, fortunately for us, we have someone called the Holy Spirit and we live under grace. And I'm sure that's a massive difference and maybe that is the difference, but... God says, right, you've got to go back down there because actually, no, I'm going to destroy these people. They've made a golden calf and they're worshipping someone else. And Moses is like, no, don't destroy them. I'll, I'll go down there. And when he goes down there, he's so angry, he smashes the tablets on the ground. It's just the Ten Commandments. He's got them and he just smashes, and I mean smashes. And then he gets the golden calf and then he just grinds it to dust. And I don't know how you do that. Maybe they had power tools. No. Um, he grinds this golden calf to dust, sprinkles it on the water, and then makes them drink it because he's so angry. And that's how he dealt with his anger at that moment. And it was Old Testament, and things are in the Old Testament. You just go, I'm not sure, but it's Old Testament, so hey. Um, for us, we live under grace. We can't do that. We, can, we can't grind something up and make someone else drink it. It'll be known as abuse. So we, we can't do that. But you need to take responsibility, whether it's deserved or not. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. And anger is often not the initial emotion. It sort of comes after. And you might be betrayed or dishonoured or shamed or mistreated or you missed out on something and you're not sure how to deal with it so you just get angry and you need to understand that anger is usually covering a pain Uh, it's covering a pain under that pain is an expectation under the expectation is a need Uh, and so if we can take responsibility for our expectations and our needs and move and and move forward and not just stay angry. Uh, anger just will harm you in the end. And so what to do? And so it's a challenge of what to do. And the first challenge is to just really admit, all right, I'm angry about this. I'm not happy about these circumstances or what has happened. Uh, and you might need to admit that to God to start with or to yourself. Um, earlier this year, I had some circumstances and some pressure. And when you get squeezed, what's on the inside will come out your mouth. And if you're angry, you will make the best speech that you regret later on. Um, and so that happened to me a few times. Um, and, you know, I had to ask for forgiveness for that. Uh, and then I'm like reacting and I'm like, am I just getting old? Or is this my midlife crisis that I can't handle pressure anymore? Because I run my own business and I have sometimes a lot of pressure and this seemed like nothing. And then God sort of put it on my heart, a person and a circumstance, and I went, oh, forgive them. No, that's nothing. But then I realised I was thinking negatively about this person. And when I thought about that person, I didn't think well. And I just was like, 
almost disdaining of that person because of this circumstance. And God puts it on my heart. And I'm like, no, I've forgiven it. He's like, no, but you're still upset. And I'm like, no. It's a typical bloke thing. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right, I'll, I'll walk through this. What, what, what should I do? Well, you need to forgive. You need to move on. You need to not hold on. You need to admit that you're angry. And, you know, it's, it's fine if you can talk to a person, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's no going. But Jesus was quite specific. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault quietly. And then if he doesn't listen, get someone else, explain the situation quietly. You don't have to tell everyone. Just quietly go and talk to them. And then if they won't listen, which I've seen happen, they end up leaving. They end up leaving because, they, because God wants to protect his church and I don't know what else. People won't repent. But, you know, that's... Jesus, but what if you can't talk to a person? What if you can't change the circumstance? You need to admit that you're angry is the first challenge. The second challenge is to not leave it so long. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And so when I was thinking about this circumstance and this person, uh, I let it go too far and then you know, more damaging thoughts and actions um, proceed. So deal with it straight away. Uh, don't let circumstances and situations drag on uh, too long. And then the third challenge is to forgive. Uh, and sometimes it takes more strength to forgive than it does to stay angry. And sometimes it's beyond your natural ability. And that's great because we live under the covenant of grace. And if you go to the Father and you go to Jesus, your emotions will follow your decisions. No, the world says sort of, you know, follow your emotions, do what that. No, your emotions will follow your decisions and your commitment. So years ago I had a, uh, and this is a different story, years ago I did some business for a guy and he went bankrupt and he owed me a lot of money and we had a relationship with him and Sarah went to school with him and university and so we'd done quite a few jobs and this, this job went pear-shaped for him, it didn't go pear-shaped for me, he owed me $30,000 and I was really angry because he was foolish um, with his decisions and we'd already built a trusted relationship and it was sort of awkward but I was I was just filthy because he should have like let me know before I took on this project and I took on the project and he did, he was already in trouble and he didn't let me know and then we had to see him at school because he he his children were going to the same school and his daughters in the same uh, uh, class as Grace and so then I would see him and I would be angry and I knew straight away I, I, I'm not going down solicitors I don't have time to chase a solicitor to try and sort this mess out it's like I either just stay you know composed and and try and walk through it but I saw him be angry I was like no I'm going to forgive this I have to forgive and I remembered how much Jesus had forgiven me and how much should I forgive this guy who just made a mistake Uh, and so but I would see him and and then initially I was like I don't know should I talk to it like what I just I still emotions there I'm still sort of not not happy happy about it and I'm like no no I should go and talk to him and hey how you going and and just put the emotions behind and it took like over 12 months for the emotions to catch up to the forgiveness, the decision, the decision to let this go and just, hey, hey, go on and uh, how's, how have you moved on and, and just talk to him and, and be, be, be forgiving, be forgiving. But the emotions didn't go away straight away and I, my, almost let, I just almost wanted to get angry and tell him it was, stu- and, and oh, I'm just going to, hey, hey, how are you going? What, hey, how's your family today? And you, you doing well? You doing well? And, and just 
leave it behind and just let it go. Just let it go. And now I see him and his kids are going, Grace goes to the birthday parties and we're just, just talking and, and um, you know, just really love him. And it didn't start easy, but you need to deal with your anger. You deal with your anger. And that's, that's what Jesus is commissioning us to do, is take responsibility for our anger uh, in when it comes up. And so deal with it straight away. Admit it that it's there and forgive people. And if you need grace, grace is abundant and available to you. Uh, and there are other people that can, can uh, help you and pray for you as well. So let's go on to the next commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus teaching on this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to get thrown into hell. It's pretty full on. Like, really full on. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Yeah. Just think about that for a minute. It's pretty hectic teaching. There is a real problem with sin. And when you read through the account of the Ten Commandments, God wants to be with his people. Sin is a real problem. And God's trying to do something about it. Because people don't have the ability to do anything about it. They're just stuck. And so he's motivated to take away sin. And here, Jesus commissions us to deal decisively with, with our desire. To deal decisively with it. Don't cut off your hand. Don't gouge out your eye. Don't do that. But cut off what your hand can do. Cut out what your eyes can see. I was down the beach. Nina was there playing. Kids are in the water riding bodyboards. And I'm just on patrol, just watching. And three girls walk right there. Keelan, three of them. (laughs) You're looking at me. I suppose you should be. And, And I was caught off guard because I'm not sure about the swimsuits these days. But if I walk down the beach in that kind of gear... My 14-year-old would run that way and my wife would get... I don't know what she'd do, actually. Uh, and so I just turned my back and just played with Nina. I was like, oh, and just had all these thoughts. About, oh, you can wear that thing. Imagine if I wore that thing. What's he doing? What's wrong with the people? These are worldly culture does not follow Jesus' teaching. Have you noticed? Worldly culture does not follow Jesus' teaching. Worldly attitudes... And they go with how you feel, you know, you can do anything these days. I, before I was saved, uh, I had a girlfriend and her mother said once, which was really awkward, um, it doesn't matter where he gets his appetite as long as he eats at home. And I knew that was wrong then. Uh, and, you know, this is worldly culture. People just think you should, we had a young girl in our youth ministry and her mum was like, don't just wait, go, go, and, go, and, um, go and play the field. That's what she used to tell her. And good for that girl because she didn't. She didn't listen to her mother or worldly advice. She just went, no, I'll get married and then I'll have a husband. I will. I'll deal decisively. 
I will just stick to what is right and true and pure and honourable. And so good for her. She's still married and she didn't listen to her mother. But, you know, you're going to have opportunities and adultery plays itself out on the stage of the imagination long before it plays itself out in real life. And Jesus, again, takes it from the act and brings it into the heart condition, which is something that I wonder about David and Bathsheba. And David, you know, if you talk to someone and they've never heard about God and they don't know, they don't know, we, we, no, I'm not talking about Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah. You can always go, have you heard about David and Goliath? You heard about David and Goliath? And they usually go, yeah, oh, yeah, David, yeah, I've heard about that story. Yeah, they've heard about that story. The guy's famous for taking down, when he's a teenager, the giant, taking down the lion and the bear, the guy who has, you know, is known as a man who has, after God's heart, you know, like really honourable, the king, the warrior, and he has all these amazing warriors join him, incredible warriors that join him. And it says that, in the time, in the spring, when kings go off to war, David stayed at home. It's a terrible story. He was not supposed to be there. But one, uh, one evening, one spring evening, he gets up on his palace, walks around, and he looks down and he sees this woman bathing. He sees her bathing there, sees her naked, and he just cannot get the image out of his head. So he sends a servant. I oh, know, I'll send a servant. It's a good idea. And the servant goes and the servant comes back and says, isn't this Bathsheba? Isn't this Uriah's wife? Isn't that enough for him to just... He knew who she was. He knew where Uriah lived. He knew Uriah. He lived right there next door, right next to the palace. He was always right near David because he was one of his mighty men. He was one of his trained warriors. Such a sad story. And so then he sends other servants because that servant knows what's going on. So he sends other servants to get Bathsheba and bring her in. And he just has this terrible act of adultery, which has terrible, terrible consequences for him and for the whole kingdom and his family. Um, And so adultery plays itself out on the stage of the imagination long before it plays itself out in real life. And he'd already committed adultery when he looked at her. He'd already made a decision. He didn't deal decisively. He didn't cut it off. He didn't look the other way. I didn't see that. I might go to war now. Maybe I should go and get my sword. I mean, shouldn't he have done that? But he didn't do that. He just let the imagination run wild. He just let it go. And Jesus commissions us to deal decisively between lust and adultery, in the heart condition. And we had a young couple in our church years ago and they came to church and they moved up here and we just embraced them and loved them and they just became friends and they became part of the group and they were living together, which is what people do when they leave school and they they in the world. You probably won't find it in this kingdom culture. It's not part of the culture of the kingdom of God. But they were and we were like, yep, no worries. You can, you can do whatever you want. The Bible says that you can do whatever you want, but it's not always beneficial. Uh, and I can find that scripture from you. It's, it's between Revelation and somewhere. If you go back, it is in the Psalms. Uh, so, so we just embraced these, these young couple because they were trying to work out who God was. And it's not our job to point out someone's sin. Oh, 
You're just not quite. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people come to church. I've seen gay people come to church. And then certain person just tell them, oh, you can't do that. That's not out. And then they left. I, I just said to him, I just, what? Why did you say that? You're supposed to tell them that God loves them first. Let him deal with all that stuff. God deals with your stuff. You don't need to have your sins laid out for everyone to see, whether it's you think it is or isn't. Oh, so we, good on you, mate. They're not coming back, are they? Anyway, we just embraced this couple and we just loved them. And then he just started to get in contact with God, didn't he? Because that's what this, what this environment is about. So he gets in contact, he starts, contact, he starts realising God and he starts, getting, he starts praying and he starts becoming to a connect group and, he, and, and then he goes, all right, I'm going to marry this girl because that is right. That is right for me to marry this girl. Not only am I going to marry her, but I'm going to deal decisively. I'm going to move out. I'm going to go and live with this guy, which was a, 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 just a really honourable decision and one that took a lot of courage because he'd been with this girl for a long time before he came to our church and he, he just, God moved on him. The Holy Spirit worked in him and he dealt decisively and he moved out uh, and had a season separated before he got married. And he wanted to honour God in that. And so whether it's, you know, anger or lust, or you need to cut something off, um, Bethany, you guys can come back up. Um, just as we, we, we finish, I just want to give you four Steps, whether it's murder or adultery. The first thing that David does when he realizes how stupid and how evil he's been is that he turns to God. He repents. He turns his whole life around. And yes, he has some terrible consequences if you read through the story. But his heart, he takes his heart and he takes it to God. And the prophet says, God has taken away your sin. Straight away. Just took it away. Took away the the gap. God does not like gaps between him and you. And so when you repent, when you turn to God, it's like coming up and getting heaven's perspective. It is turning around and saying, God, here I am. I need you. The second step towards you know, moving, moving forward is that if you realize that Moses and David and Paul wrote most of the Bible, right? And these three guys were murderers. These three guys actually took someone's life and were, were okay with it at the time. And then they realized what they done. But these three guys had amazing relationships with God. They walked with God. Yes, they did some really bad things, but they realised their folly and they went after God and they had incredible relationships with God. Have an incredible relationship with God. Connect with God. He's not far away. He's far closer than you could ever imagine. Connect with God. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will fill you. Have an amazing relationship with God. The third step to just moving moving on is in Philippians 3 verse 13 says this, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God. Forgetting what is behind, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. This one thing I do, this just this one thing, I leave that stuff behind and I press on. Where? I press on to the upward call of God. Serve God. Serve God. And you will walk in the call of God. You will walk in God. Give Him your best. One thing I do, I press on. Press on. Go again. Pick it up. Get going. Go again. 
press on. It takes some effort. It's not easy. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. And the fourth thing is simply this. Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. And these things is what every heart wants. Ask God to give you His Spirit. Come on, let's stand and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this, Your Word and we just thank you that, yeah, in your word is life and light and great blessing, Lord God, and, and everything that we really desire is in you, Lord God. And so we do ask for your spirit this morning uh, and that you speak to each one of us and that you help us to embrace what you're saying and how you're leading us and what you're asking us to leave behind and how you're asking us to forgive and love people and walk with you, Lord God. And so I, I bless this word to us today. And um, yeah, I just thank you, Lord. You, you minister to our minds and our hearts and you give us great strength and courage, Lord God, to walk in what is right and true. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.